promises that we can count on who you are, that you're the rock of our salvation, that we can seek you. And get over to our main passage today. The main text is going to be in Habakkuk chapter 1, and I'll give you a minute to get there. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11. And if you would, for this first passage, stand for me uh, in honor of God's Word. So I'm going to be starting in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity, and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. You may be seated. So we're going to do something a little bit different tonight than we have done in the past few weeks, guys. I want to start a little small series. We're going to do a book study on the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Uh, This is a very small book, so we probably won't be in it for very long. But I'm looking at probably about the next four sermons. Uh, We're going to just verse by verse go straight through this book and see what God has to say to us in it. Uh, What we're going to do today is we're just going to go through all of the the introduction. We're going to look at the setting. We're going to look at the background. We're going to look at what's happened in Scripture up to this point. We're just going to lay the foundation, try to get all of that groundwork out there so that we can have a beneficial study over the next few weeks. Uh, And The first question I want to ask you today is, well, obviously, probably all of you are thinking, what in the world is Habakkuk and where is it and why do I need to turn to it and why, why Habakkuk? Right, if we're going to study one book, why that one? And I had a big uh, spiel prepared for you. I was going to come up here and tell you all about oh, the importance of preaching the whole counsel of God and how every word of God, even the Old Testament prophets, they're all inspired and they're all profitable. They're all valuable. You know, They just have so much to teach us and so much that we leave on the table. And, and it was going to be great, trust me. And, and I got to thinking and I thought, well... I'm going to go up there and I'm going to tell them that we ignore these books and, and we don't need to. We need to look at them. And, and then I thought, well, Mr. Long is teaching through the book of Amos on Sunday morning. So I can't really get up there and tell them that because uh, apparently this church is doing pretty good on that end. But uh, we still have to admit that uh, these books in the Old Testament, the, the books that you know you hear them in 
You have no idea where they are or where they came from, right? Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of the prophets of the Old Testament, they're ignored. Uh, They're not talked about very much. They've got a lot of teaching, a huge portion of the Bible that people know almost nothing about. I mean, almost nothing. Uh, As in, they literally may have never even heard of the books. Uh, There's just a lot of godly teaching that we leave on the table with these Old Testament works. And I want us to just kind of go through this one. And I think if nothing else, we need to know that books like Habakkuk, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Hosea, those books are just as inspired. They are just as much God's Word as the Gospel of John or the Epistle to the Romans. They deserve to be studied just like any book in the New Testament does. They still have something that they can teach us. I think in this, le- in this uh, sermon series, today's lesson and the ones that follow, uh, we'll be able to look at some different issues, some different scriptures, some different topics, some things that aren't normally talked about a whole lot but are biblical topics, things that need to be talked about. Every word of God is inspired, and we need to know all of it. So looking at verse 1 real quick, uh, we're told that the author of this book is the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Uh, well, who is Habakkuk? Uh, what do we know about him? Uh, we pretty much know nothing. That's, that's your, your guess is as good as mine. We don't know anything about his childhood. We don't know anything about his family, his job. We don't, we don't know what he was doing right before he wrote this. We know nothing. Basically, we know that his name is Habakkuk and he was a prophet. That tells us right out the gate he's not concerned about telling us about himself. He is concerned about delivering the message that God has given to him. And I think that before we get started, we're probably going to spend about the first half or so of our study tonight just just looking at all of the background information necessary. Uh, I want to fit this book into kind of the big overarching story of Scripture. We know that the Bible is 66 books, but it's also one book. It's one book with one story that tells the story of Jesus Christ redeeming humanity. Uh, Where does the book of Habakkuk fit in that giant storyline? Well, the first thing you need to know is Habakkuk's written about 600 B.C., give or take a little bit. It's about 2,600 years ago, about 600 years before Christ, right before uh, one of the biggest, most major events in all of the Old Testament that nobody knows anything about, the exile of Judah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the future, but just keep that in your mind. Right before a massive judgment from God comes on his people, that's when this book comes into the fray. So what goes on before that? Uh, Where where does this fit in with the other events of Scripture? I just kind of want to start at the beginning. Uh, Basically, what happens before that is pretty much the first 20 books in your Bible. Uh, That's a lot of ground. We can't cover all of that. But just kind of hitting the high points real quick. Where are we at right now? When you start out, you've got creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Everybody knows those. Everybody's heard them in Sunday school. After those stories, we get into the story of Israel, God's chosen people. We talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of Israel, the ones whose descendants would become the nation of Israel. They eventually, uh, through one of Israel's children, Joseph, relocate to Egypt where they become slaves. That's where Moses comes in. That's where the ten plagues come in. That's where the exodus from Egypt, God bringing his people out, comes into play. He takes them to a place called Mount Sinai. It's very important. He gives them a law, a covenant. He becomes their God. They become his people. They agree to follow him. And he gives them blessings and curses depending upon whether or not they keep that law. It is their responsibility to keep the law of God, to do what he's commanded them to do. 
After that, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness uh, before Joshua leads the chosen people of God into the promised land. Uh, when Israel goes, um, is unfaithful after the life of Joshua, God raises up leaders periodically called judges for several hundred years. Uh, these are uh, the people that take place kind of right in between Moses and the kingdom, people like David. Uh, eventually the people demand, God, give us a king. They reject God as their king. They say, give us a human king. Well, what does that lead to? That leads to Saul, David, Solomon. Again, people that we've all heard of before. A very prosperous time for the nation of Israel. This is a very, uh, very wealthy, very powerful, very spreading out time for the Israelite people. Uh, does anybody know what happened after Solomon's reign? What major event took place after that? The kingdom was divided. Exactly right. That, that is incredibly important. The kingdom of Israel divided into two kingdoms after the reign of Solomon. Uh, so you've got the northern kingdom of Israel. You have the southern kingdom of Judah. N neither one of them very faithful, very good, but Judah by far the better of the two. Israel falls into idolatry. They fall into sin. Eventually God judges them. He destroys their nation and removes them from the land. All of this is taking place before Habakkuk writes his letter. So what's going on as Habakkuk writes his letter? In his century, we've seen some of the best kings that Judah has ever had. We've seen some of the worst kings that Judah has ever had. The people have completely rejected all of the reform efforts, all of the attempts to bring the law, all of the attempts to follow God's word have all been rejected. That is the background of the book of Habakkuk. That is what he's talking about. I want to give you a brief summary of the book, and we're going to go ahead and dive into the first few verses today. Uh, this book can basically be divided up into three sections. The first two, you have Habakkuk asking questions, hard questions. Right? He says, God, I do not understand. What is going on here? What are you doing? Why is this happening? And then God gives his answers to Habakkuk. Chapter 3 is a psalm or a prayer of Habakkuk responding to those questions and answers before that. So I want to go ahead today, what we're going to be looking at is that first question and answer. We're going to look at Habakkuk asking God, uh, complaining about his current situation and how God has responded to that. Before we do that, I want to finish talking about verse 1 uh, where it says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. So what are we reading here? We're reading a burden. A burden. What's a burden? Your translation might say oracle, prophecy, something along those lines. It's a message from God. A message that God has given to this prophet. And it's not just a message, it's a burden. This is a message of judgment. I was listening to one pastor as he talked about this book. He said it starts with gloom and ends with glory. I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. This book starts in some very bad places. But it comes out on the other side with some very encouraging words for all of us. Beyond that, it tells us that Habakkuk is a prophet. Well, why is that important? It's important because it's basically the only thing that we know about the author of this book. Uh, prophets was an essential office in the Old Testament. It was something that uh, was a very, very high responsibility that certain men were called to. If you will, turn with me to 2 Peter 1.21. We're going to talk a little bit about prophets and prophecy. In 2 Peter 1.21, he says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Habakkuk is a prophet. A prophet is a messenger of God. 
It's somebody that has God's message, God's words for God's people. The true prophet, somebody like Habakkuk, is measured by the fact that his message has its source in God. He is not giving his opinions. He's not trying to do a job to make a living. He is delivering God's message to his people. And he's unique in the fact that he doesn't write this book to somebody. Right? What he gives us here is a recording of him and God in dialogue with each other, talking to each other. So if you will, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get started with verses 2 to 4. We're going to read Habakkuk's first complaint. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. He says, how long, O Lord? How long? Do you feel that question? Can you relate to that? Has that ever happened to you? Does God ever seem absent or distant, like he's not listening or that he doesn't care? Habakkuk says, I just don't understand. I, I, don't, I can't put this together. I know that God is good. I know that God's all-powerful. But he can't reconcile that with what he sees around him, all of the sin, all of the evil on every side. It's not something that's new. It's something he's prayed for over and over. He's in an evil society, and he's praying to God, God, help us. God, change us. And nothing's happening. He's not seeing anything done. Uh, there's an interesting parallel here that I thought that you guys might like. It, that he talks about violence, how violence is spread throughout the land. Well, if you look at uh, Genesis chapter 6 with me and verse 11. In Genesis 6, 11, they say, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Right before God judged the entire world, right before he destroyed every human being but the eight on the ark, the earth was filled with violence. Well, notice exactly what's happening in Judah right now. It is filled with violence. It is filled with robbery and injustice. And he's asking, why hasn't God defended the innocent? You see this so many places uh, throughout the rest of Scripture as well. They ask things like, how long are the wicked going to triumph? How long are the enemy going to blaspheme God? Everything just seems uh, unfair, unjust. Uh, as a believer, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that there's anybody in here that's never wandered something like that, something like Habakkuk is asking here. In the book of Job, he asks, why do the wicked grow old? Why do they become powerful and prosper? It just seems like people don't get what they deserve. Why are God's people in such a dire situation? Uh, today, why is our nation in the situation that it's in? Why are the churches in the situation that they're in? Uh, could God not put an end to the great injustices like abortion? Could he not end that situation? Could God not stop the evils that are taking place in the church? Could he not have stopped the Crusades or the Inquisition? I mean, does God seem inactive or indifferent, like he's, like he's just not doing anything? Why is he so slow to punish the evil? Habakkuk can't even stand to look at it. We should have that same response. It should grieve us to look at the state of the church and our country, the way that they are now compared to the way that they used to be, all of the injustice, all of the inequity that there is in the world. 
in the church, all the disunity, all the infighting, the unbelief in the pulpit and in the classroom. I'm not going to stand here and lie to you and say that it's all you know, rainbows and sunshine. It, it's not good in a lot of places. If you think that every church is like this one, it is not. If you think the Word of God is read to every congregation in America, you're wrong. Uh, that, that is not how it, I would say most churches are. This isn't just some ivory tower philosophy problem for Habakkuk. He's looking at it. He is living in the middle of this. He's seeing the strong abuse the weak. He sees the violence, the robbery. He sees the divisiveness and the fighting each other that's taking place amongst God's people. Jesus said that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That's something that we always have to remember is that in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacebreakers. Colossians 2, 2 says that we are to be knit together in love. We are one body, all of us members. We have to strive together for the faith of Christ. This is not an every man for himself situation. It's not a survival of the fittest situation. In verse 4, we see that the righteous man has wicked on every side. It's all around him. Maybe you feel like that right now. If not, maybe you will in the future. Uh, There's just no equity. There's no justice. They have the right law. The law was given to them by God. But he says that because there's no consequences, they become convinced that the law can be ignored. It gets no authority, no respect. That law that demands fairness and justice and righteousness is being completely ignored. They've had heroes of the faith in the past, but they have completely fallen from that state. And we'll get to God's answer. What does God have to say about the situation? But really quick, I want to talk about verse 4 and the law. Uh, If you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20. So starting in verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law in itself is not sufficient to bring us holiness, righteousness, to justify us before a holy God. The Bible says that everyone that is under a law, the law, I'm sorry, is under a curse. The law's job is not to make us righteous. We see here that the people of God, the Israelites, are not keeping the law. The law itself is good because of our weakness. Uh, it, it cannot bring us back to God. The, God. the law's job is to show us our sin, to be a mirror that reflects our nature back to us, to show us our need for a Savior. The law is holy, but we're not. Hebrews says that the law has made nothing perfect. But I want you to know that we have a better hope. We have a better covenant based on better promises and a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God in Jeremiah 32 says that in the new covenant, He will put His law in our hearts. He will work in us from the inside out. Israel didn't keep the law, but we can follow God with the help of His Holy Spirit. And beyond that, I want to read to you God's answer to Habakkuk. Habakkuk has has brought all of these difficulties, all of these questions to God. And he wants answers. He believes that God has those answers and God responds to him. In verse 5, he begins his answer. So Habakkuk has seen evil 
in Israel. But God is now going to work. He says, now is when I'm going to answer. How long do you ask? In your days, you're going to see it. He says, look to the nations and God's judgment could clearly be seen. Is he indifferent to sin? He gives us the answer right here. The answer is clearly no. Is he going to do nothing about it? The answer is clearly no. God's answer to sin right here is that he is bringing judgment on the people of Judah. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. There is very little good news in the coming verses. There's very little to encourage you or raise your spirits or make you happy, but this is the word of God, and this is an important message for us. Today's message is about God's judgment, the fact that it is real, the fact that this is something that we need to know and that God wants all of us to be prepared. He is raising up a people, a nation, the Chaldeans, your translation might say the Babylonians, it's the same people, and he gives us an extended description of them. In the next few verses, he tells us that they're bitter, that they're going to be cruel, that they're hasty, right? They're going to be forcible and violent. He tells us that Judah has sinned through violence and robbery, and they're going to be punished in the exact same way. That God is going to send on them something that's frightening, that's menacing, that cares nothing for the law of God. That they're going to be too fast to escape. They're going to be too fierce to overcome. They're going to bring nothing but death and destruction all in their wake. They're going to laugh at kings because none of them are going to stand up to them. They're going to heap up dust to go over castle walls to take fortified cities. There's nowhere to hide. There's no way to run. There's no way you can fight. They're too evil for you to talk them down. It is too late. Judgment is here and it is too late for these people. It is coming and there is no stopping it. I want you to know that in this situation, God is still in control. These pagan nations might have ascribed all of their victories to their own gods. God is the one that's working everything according to the counsel of his own will. But judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for all of us. The same way that the Judeans could look out and see the Chaldeans coming at them, we can see judgment coming. God has told us that we're not staying in the state that we're in forever. If you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. We're going to read verses, verse 12. Where the Apostle Paul says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one of us is going to give an account. You can lie to me, you can lie to Brother John, you can lie to your families or friends, you're not going to slip anything past God. You can be sure that your sin is going to find you out. God is not indifferent. God is not inactive. He is not going to allow sin to go on forever. What is his answer? His answer is, I am doing something right now. He is working everything according to his plan. He works all things after the counsel of his will. And if we have to ask how long, then I think we need to know that we need to trust him and lean not on our own understanding. But the fact of the matter is that judgment is still coming. And the final verse I want to look at today is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now I understand that uh, th this is a judgment message. That we're probably not going to leave with smiles on our faces. But I want you to know, to make no mistake about it, that these warnings are not just for them. 
We need to see what's coming down the line. We need to prepare accordingly. John 3.36 says, He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. All that come to him will in no wise be cast out. Wrath is real. Punishment is real. The tribulation is coming. Eternity is coming. Those things are going to be here. There is going to come a day, someday, when we are going to look out and we are going to say, It's too late. It's here. Just like they did, eventually time runs out. But God, who is rich in mercy, has been beyond patient with us. He could have destroyed us long ago, but just as he gave Israel time, so he does to us. Why so long? Why, Lord? Why are you so slow to punish evil? 2 Peter 3, 9 says, He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wills you to repent and be saved. You can be saved today. God always keeps his word. Today is the day of salvation. I know this is Wednesday night. I'm sure that most of you know the Lord. I pray that all of you know the Lord. If you don't, don't leave today without doing so. If you do know the Lord, I want you to know that all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday, and all of us are going to give an account. And Jesus says that to whom much is given, much will be required. So let us go out the rest of this week. Let us run our race well. Let us hear, well done, good and faithful servant, when that judgment finally comes. That's all I have for you today, guys. I believe we've got just a couple minutes before Awana lets out. Does anybody have any, any questions, comments, anything along those lines? Go ahead. Okay, 11 o'clock tomorrow, bring side dishes, once a month knitting. All right. Do we have anything else? Would anybody like to dismiss us in prayer?